Our emotions are designed, they're designed to inform us, not to direct us. There is no number you're ever going to get to that is going to heal whatever is going on inside of you. I think defining what it means to be a man is not possible. And, and when I say I don't think it's possible, I think I mean on a mass scale of agreement throughout societies. Oftentimes, anger is simply sadness masked. Because I feel like you never really stop growing. And if you have stopped growing, like you're already dead in the water. You know, stagnation is synonymous to death. You are now embarking on the Imperfect Experience. Hello, Imperfect listeners. It's your host, Luke West, back with another episode of this podcast where we discuss masculinity and manhood more intentionally and purposefully. On this episode, my guest is Jake Sticka. As Next Gen Men's Executive Director, Jake is a passionate speaker and facilitator focused on gender-based issues related to the social and emotional development of young men, the health and well-being of men in communities, and gender equities in the workplace, uh, or gender equity in the workplaces. Jake was named one of Avenue Magazine's top 40 under 40, as well as having earned recognition from Ashoka, the British Council, and the Canadian Centre for Diversity and Inclusion. He has spoken at the United Nations as part of the Canadian delegation and participated in the UN Women's Safe Cities Initiative Global Forum. He is also a proud advisor to Calgary Immigrant Women's Association, Canadian Women in Sport, as well as the Calgary Women's Emergency Shelter. On this episode, we talk about the work he's doing at Next Gen Men, how the patriarchy hurts men, the journey of a young boy in kind of a sensationalized way, cancel culture versus consequence culture, unlearning, and the importance of understanding nuance. If you like this episode, make sure to press subscribe, follow, leave a review, and message me on Instagram at The Imperfect Pod. Uh, I always want to hear from my listeners and continue the conversation. Also, at the end, you will hear about this next-gen membership. I have joined it myself since having this conversation, and I'm loving the community. If you're looking for that kind of conversation and a way to pursue and take it offline, it's a great place. Also, as it's currently November and a month about men's mental health, you can find a link to my friend Gautam's Movember fundraiser link in the description of this episode. You can also check out the episode with Gautam as he was the first guest I ever had on the podcast. But let's get into the show now. Jake, uh, I am very excited to have you with me today. Um, Before we get into it, uh, the first question I always ask my guests is, who is one person dead or alive that you'd like to have over for dinner? And you're on dinner duty tonight. What would you cook for uh, this this guest? Oh, boy. Um, well, first of all, I think our fridge is pretty barren. So they'd probably get like the scraps of like some spinach, some eggs, and some mushrooms. So it sounds like a frittata. <laughs> What is a frittata? Uh, how does one even define it? I guess it's like a crustless quiche. Okay. I guess. Yeah. I maybe. love quiche. Quiche is great. Yeah, yeah. And I don't have the crust, so no quiche for this person. Um, <laughs> and I'm stalling because I wasn't expecting that, but it's a great question. Um, dead or alive. You know, I... I I'm a big Seth Godin fan and I like the way he thinks about the world and I'd love to talk with him. I've read, you know, so many of of his books. I've done the alt MBA. Um, He's definitely inspired a lot of my thinking or like highlighted other people that I should be interested in and, and those kinds of things. So I think that he would be a tremendous dinner guest. 
And and do you look at Seth mainly as in a marketing or has he kind of changed your frame of reference outside of marketing as well? Because I think I've read Purple Cow, which I, I'm pretty sure yeah, that's the name of the book. Yeah, he's, he's a marketer. But what I love about his message is um, – everything is marketing, right? Like when we, when we hear the word marketing, he think, or many of us think, you know, cheap tricks for people to sell stuff. Right. But he thinks of like customer service as marketing and like, you know, the way your store looks as marketing, the things you tweet are marketing like on a personal level and those kinds of things. So, um, and, and I think, you know, contrasting that with some of those like cheap tricks that we might think about. Um, he really thinks about, you know, infinite games, the long run, generosity, education, um, you know, those things that like make up society and make you want to interact with things. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I'm here trying to, you know, work towards a future where boys and men feel less pain and cause less harm. And I need to market that, right? I need to get people behind it. I, and here's like a, a classic Sethism. He says, people like us do things like this, right? And mm. and that's smart. But then through that, you have to define who like people like us is and things like this is. Um, and then re- really build that in. So um, I think there's just a lot of nuance from him. Mm. Yeah. And, and speaking of marketing, you know, you're the executive director of Next Gen Men, an amazing organization where you just said your mission is, you know, uh, you're redefining what manhood means so that boys and men experience less pain and cause less harm. I know that when we originally spoke, those ands were very important in the wording of that mission. So why don't you explain a little bit about what Next Gen Men is and why that mission statement is so important to you? Totally. Next Gen Men is a nonprofit organization. We're going to be six years old come this fall. Um, and we started in late 2014, early 2015 with a youth program for boys age 12 to 14. Um, and the reason we chose that age was it's when boys are kind of losing their innocence of boyhood and starting to act like what they think it is to be a man. And um, a lot of social and cultural conditioning, um, you know, even just thinking about the cartoons kids watch growing up, um, says that men are powerful. And, you know, you tell a 12 to 14 year old boy that he's going to be powerful. And he looks around and he says, I have no power. My parents tell me what to do. My teacher tells me what to do. My coach tells me what to do. And so they often start enacting these power structures in their little friend groups um, by differentiating themselves, right? Um, based on, uh, race, sex, uh, gender, any other kind of outstanding things. And, um, that's where we see the spikes in, in, you know, racism, homophobia, misogyny, bullying, all those kinds of things. And, um, unfortunately, uh, my co-founder, um, who is my best friend from university lost his 13 year old brother to suicide in 2007. And so we really wanted to kind of intervene at that age with those boys and, and kind of role model new ways of being men. So that was kind of the, the genesis. But then over the years, um, adults said, you know, I love what you're doing. I wish I had something like this when I was a kid. And we kind of just said, you know, uh, we don't need to be kids to have these conversations. So we started hosting uh, monthly community discussions uh, relating to topics around what it means to be men. Uh, for example, last night um, we held an event on porn, masculinity, and feminism. Um, next month we're talking about masculinity and substance use. 
uh, the December we're talking about masculinity and religion and um, just creating space for for conversations that kind of move beyond the water cooler, right? Like us guys, sometimes when we gather at work or, or with our buds, you know, it's all about the stock market and the latest sports scores. But if we can, you know, go deep together, be vulnerable and, and kind of form some connections, we'll, be, we'll all be better off for it. And then lastly, um, you know, I don't know if you know this or not, but nonprofits are really shitty business model. So uh, we started a social enterprise uh, called Equity Leaders um where we go into male dominated workplaces uh think you know finance construction technology energy um and we work to engage leaders in those industries to uh be better champions of gender equity and and broader diversity and inclusion issues um because you know the market and customers and shareholders are all saying hey this is important to us and, you know, once you get to be an age, to an age where you're, you know, male, pale and stale, um, you you may not know where to begin. Right. Yeah. So uh, we do a lot of education in those spaces. So I, I love your male, pale and stale, uh, like just rhyming scheme there. It's great. It, uh, one thing I, I, I do, you know, think about is when you when you talk about energy and construction, Typically, those are industries that the frame of mind says they're not really into gender politics or, or identity politics and this whole masculinity talk. That's one of the biggest things that I've seen from a lot of guys, even that are just my friends, might be that they're not at all interested in um, hearing about that conversation. So uh, like in, in terms of that, how have you been coordinating working with those industries? Have you seen any resistance there? Oh, lots of resistance. Um, you know, like the reason I get hired is because of the resistance and, um, you know, uh, you can't see it on a podcast here, but, uh, you know, I may be rhyming off male, pale and stale, but, uh, I am a man, uh, I am white, uh, I'm not yet stale, but I will soon be stale. And, uh, I, I have a receding hairline, um, but I'm also six foot eight, right? I have a lot of, um, privileged identities, which get me access to those spaces and, um, you know, the unfortunate reality is that I think because of where we're at socially and culturally, my voice resonates a bit more than other people's voices in those spaces. And that's unfortunate, but I really try and use that to be kind of the tip of the spear and um, create more space after me. And um, when we're talking about that resistance, the tough part is I think the conversation for a long time has really been about, you know, hey, guys, we need to be better for women and girls. And um, that can get you so far, right? You know, like, we all care about our mothers, our sisters, our daughters, those kinds of things. But, you know, our motivation shouldn't be for those people. Our motivation should be because they're people just like us, right? Yeah. And um, what I really try and do is flip the conversation. It's a bit of a jujitsu move. Um I don't really talk about the benefits of women and girls. I talk about how gender norms and, and kind of patriarchal structures actually harm men and boys, right? Like we know men are three out of four suicides. Men die on average five years earlier than women and girls due to increased risk-taking and lack of health and help-seeking behaviors. Men are the primary perpetrators of all forms of violence. But aside from gender-based violence, they're actually the primary victims of all forms of violence. Men experience increased rates of substance abuse, uh, homelessness, and are more likely to end up incarcerated. 
And to me, those are all gender-based issues around the male gender. And so when I start the conversation, that's where I'm coming from. You know, like the powers that be, the structures that are, sure, they benefit us in a bunch of ways, but they also really harm us in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And if I can get them thinking about it in that new perspective, this idea of feminism or gender equality or whatever the hell we want to call it, um, maybe becomes a bit less threatening. They don't feel like they're absolutely giving up their power and privilege and not getting anything in return. We can start talking about, hey, you're going to have better relationships, better mental health, you know, better uh, feelings of fulfillment in your life and those kinds of things. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things that I've learned as I've read a little bit more about the topic is, you know, when it comes to these men that are angry at the system that they're currently in and they get mad at feminism, the, the, the anger gets pointed in misplaced directions, which is why one of my recent episodes, I had a feminist on and we, I I pitched it from that angle. I like. I want you to say that you're a feminist, and we're going to talk about these things to know that they're on our side a lot of the time. Because if you think about, you know, one of the biggest uh, issues that men have with the whole structure is that fathers that go through divorce don't get a lot of the children rights, which is unfortunate. But if you look at it, it's because they're working all the time. They're not really involved in the home. And like, that seems to be one of the reasons why they don't have much access to their kids. But feminism is trying to fix that by having them more involved in the home. So, I mean, the, 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 it seems like the problems are the same, but the solutions that they're trying to provide are different. Yeah, well said. I mean, um, and that's why I, I, first of all, I, I too identify as a feminist and Next Gen Men is a, is a pro-feminist organization. Um, however, when I talk about this work, I really talk about it being anti-patriarchal. Right. And mm. um, when we talk about it that way, that's that's the system. Patriarchy is the system. And um, we're, that's what we're trying to topple. And, and, you know, you made a great example there with with custody rights. It's patriarchy that dictates that, you know, women are the natural nurturing caregivers and that, you know, fathers can't. Uh, fill that role in their child's lives, right? And so, you know, when we're we're talking about gender equality, we're saying, hey, men are equal and capable caregivers, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, really well said about the the issues are we agree on the issues, but the 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 solutions are are wildly different. Yeah. It's just I find it fascinating, which is why I always like to have that conversation that, you know, men and feminists can get along and should get along if they're, if they're men should be feminists. wanting to be solution. Yes. Yeah. And should be feminists if they're trying to solve the problems of men. It, 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 they, a lot of them are really aligned. One of the things that you also mentioned at the very start um, was how you wanted to intersect with men, intersect with young men as they're developing before they get too influenced by kind of, the gender stereotypes or the gender norms. And that's another thing that I've seen is that men or young boys actually have higher feeling rates, whatever it is in the brain, but more than women or young girls before like the age of three, I think. I think that's what the science has dictated. If I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. And then all of a sudden after three, they shift completely beyond that. They like almost shut down immediately and like – that just shows how much impact there is for young boys who can hardly even like speak and read and, and, but they're still observing so much. Well, um, often to set the stage for kind of the work 
that that next gentleman is trying to do i tell this sensationalized story and um so bear with me it's a journey a young boy is born or actually sorry he's not even born yet um but there's a gender reveal party that dictates that he will like blue right and mm-hmm. don't even get me started it's not a gender reveal party it's a sex reveal party like the language is wrong to begin with but that's where we start then this boy is born and you know he's nurtured by his parents and at two or three, maybe even a little into four, you, you see him being just as intimate and loving and crying and, and getting comfort from people that love and care about him. But then, you know, when he's in, in let's say, preschool, um, he's, he's, you know, hugging his friend. Maybe he gives him a kiss or something like that. And that's fine. But somehow at like four or five, a boy is told, no, boys don't do that right? But we still have that need for physical touch and intimacy with people that we care about. So what do we do? We start roughhousing, right? And when we roughhouse, we're still getting that touch, but it's in a more permissible way. And then that's that's the origins of boys will be boys. So this is what we've been doing for a few years. And then we end up in school. And in school, we have to sit at desks and listen to teachers uh, teach us things. Uh, meanwhile, girls have been kind of socialized to be prim and proper and behave themselves, and boys have been let to be boys. And so when they're in a classroom and they feel fidgety and they have to act out and they have all this energy, they're labeled as ADD or, you know, other kind of learning deficiencies. And to have that kind of label and stigma feels wrong and, and you can't express yourself. So you start crying and you're seven years old at this point. And someone says, well, boys don't cry, Right. And so you, you pull back the tears and the sniffles and you, you internalize that. And then, you know, you're nine or 10 years old and um, you don't have these other ways to emote because, you know, you've been told you can't be intimate and affectionate. You can't cry. And so you're feeling something and you're growing up and, and something's in your way. And, and, and so you act out and someone tells you, hey, that's not how a man acts. You've got to man up. And so you internalize that, right? So you can't act out. So you need to be stoic. You need to be emotionless. You can't feel about these things. And then, you know, somehow you're in your early mid-teens and somehow the conversations start shifting that uh, the measure of a man is, is losing your virginity. So you start interacting with the opposite sex through that lens and that lens alone. You don't think about them as, as you know, friends and smart and intelligent human beings that you could have shared interests with. And, um, you know, maybe later on, uh, one of those people that you've come to know uh, decides to get into an intimate position with you. And then they get scared and they say, hey, you know what, I'm not ready, let's stop. But your whole life to this point has said when you feel something, you push through. And so when she says, please don't, you push through. Right. Mm. And so you can see and this is a sensationalized story, but I think that a lot of people can relate with it over a young man's life from conception to, you know, toddler to young adolescent to adult, you know, it, it just adds up. There's so many opportunities to engage men and boys and change the narrative for them and then you know i could keep going well into adulthood all the way up until you know when we talk about male suicide rates the highest isn't actually teens it's uh 55 to 65 Mm -hmm. because men are retiring and they have identity crisis right and and their whole life they've been told you need to earn you need to be the figure of the house and so they're stuck right 
So there's so much work to be done to engage men and boys in gender-based issues. Yeah. And then, you know, another thing that, that like when they turn 55 is they, they lose a lot of their friends or they, they realize that they don't have a lot of male friends around them because a lot of them were just work buddies. Or this is another problem. A lot of their guy friends are their wife's friends, husbands. So there's not really a real connection there. Right. And that's, well, it is horrible. you know, if, if, if you and I, you know, I don't know if you're, you're single or you have a partner or whatever, but I'm like, single, <laughs> say you have a girlfriend and you know, my partner and I go out to dinner with you and you and I don't really know each other and, and they're friends. We live in a society currently where it's weird for me to say, Hey Luke, I had a great time. Do you want to like hang out and grab a beer sometime? Right. Mm-hmm. The first reaction is that's fucking weird. Like, what is that guy gay? Like, wait, no, he's got a partner. Right. And yeah. like that is like the litmus test of the society and culture we live in, that that is often our first reaction to those things. Yeah. And I, I find it really interesting now that you brought up that whole sensationalization of, of growing up, you know, I was homeschooled until I was grade nine. I didn't really have a lot of those elementary school moments, which actually now I'm like cluing in for the first time might be the reason why I am today able to have these conversations and not really like, I can't, identify with a lot of those boys will be boys moments or you know boys don't cry i was fortunate enough one i did hear a really interesting article or a podcast a couple of weeks ago about adhd and kids in in school and how the system is being kind of it's working against young boys now because they're taking away recess because there was issues with recess and, and roughhousing. And, and so a lot of these young boys are being trapped in and young girls are a little bit more prim and proper. As you said, they've been raised that way. And, and now young men are being sedated because ADHD and, and that is a problem in itself too. And that's one reason why I try to stay away from the whole toxic masculinity thing is, is always bad because I'm like, sometimes boys will be boys. And unfortunately we've used that as an excuse to do improper things, inappropriate things rather than just be like, you know, there's nothing wrong with a little bit of rough housing in my opinion, or, or, you know, a guy falling down and, or being pushed. And I don't know, just like guys having fun. Like there isn't a problem with that unless it goes too far, like everything in moderation, but we've just used and that, that language has been misused to approve of things that are despicable in a lot of ways. I, I don't know how you feel about that, but I feel like there is some level of young men allowing to be rough and, and wild and a little bit of that, that carefree, but I'm talking like under the age of 10. Yeah, totally. I mean, um, we try not to use toxic masculinity in our, in our work. Um, it's a much better diagnostic term than it is uh, an, an actual functional term because like for us, we, I don't know if you noticed on the website, we don't use masculinity as a singular. We use masculinities, right? And so mm. if toxic masculinity is a thing, it is only one performance of masculinity. There are so many other ways to be a man. And um, the part that I really always struggle with is, is, you know, and and I'm not putting you on the spot here, but like to say, oh, I don't think it's wrong for boys to be rough and tumble and have a little wildness. I don't think it's wrong for anyone, 
right? Mm -hmm. But the tough part is like girls can't see themselves in that because they're not socialized with it either, right? Mm -hmm. And if they are, then they're, you know, tomboys. And we at least have a word for tomboy. We don't have a word for the opposite of that for a young man who's effeminate and, you know, wants to do his makeup and wants to be men proper. We call them a fag, you know? Or a sissy. Exactly, right? And so... Anytime we say any one gender should have the permission to do this or that, I struggle with that. I just, I would rather, you know, some people believe in a post-gender world. I don't think I fully do. And and if so, you know, that might be step 99 out of 100. And I think we're at like step 17, maybe. So like for me, I would love over my lifetime to get to a place where we stop using these measuring sticks of, of masculinity and femininity, right? Mm. And so, you know, um, that that would be kind of my my take on that. Yeah, and never feel afraid to put me on the spot. That's all what this that's what this entire podcast is for. I love learning, I love growing, I love having my ideas called out. I'm not against it at all. So um I love that you said that because that's something I've been thinking about a lot recently is the whole, oh yeah, maybe the school system is kind of not set up for young boys anymore to to have those, to get that energy out, which is just more of a, seems to be more of a biological thing. Like that doesn't seem to be a, a, a social construct as much as some of the other things around, around gender. Uh, but another thing I wanted to ask you about was, when it comes to, you know, there's there's a lot of people in the in the masculinity space that I've seen as I've, I've as I've gotten more involved in it, I, I you know Instagram pages a lot more about you know accepting your inner lion and you know we're feminizing young boys way too much or or there's too many sissified men out there like what do you say to those men who think that there's an over feminization of men or or men are being feminized because that's something I always struggle with I'm like we're not being feminized. We're just growing as a, as a humans, I think. But like, what is your typical response to those, those allegations or those, those thoughts? I think it goes back to what I just said about the measuring sticks, right? Because, um, you know, like if, if another Instagram tells me I need to get in touch with my divine feminine in order to emote, like I'm going to throw up. You know, like that, that shouldn't be a feminine or masculine trait, like emoting is human, right? Mm. And um, the same, you know, on the inverse, when, you know, there's, there's this whole lean in thing for women in workplaces, right? And if women are leaning in and, and really just acting more like shitty men in the workplace to get ahead, that might help them individually, but that doesn't make the workplace a better place to be if you're just a man in heels, mm. right? And leadership is not inherently, quote unquote, masculine, especially now, you know, when we're really taking good hard looking at this and, and you know, we talk about emotional intelligence and those kinds of things, right? So um, I just think, you know, anything that you know, kind of keeps us out of the binary, keeps us out of the boxes. And and not to mention as well, too, a lot of these conversations and, and this work, you know, are very binary and they erase people who, who don't ascribe themselves to one gender or another or are transgender, right? And um, when we stop using the measuring sticks, it just allows everyone to identify themselves in whatever cap- capacity they want, wherever they want. Mm. And, um, 
you know, I think that a lot of these uh, folks who are talking about, you know, the feminization of men and, and, you know, getting in touch with their lion and those kinds of things, you know, that it's tinged with like nostalgia for, for the way things used to be. And sure, we can say that, you know, white men were doing all right back then, but how is everyone else doing? Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, I don't know about you, but I, I want to live in a world where everyone's thriving, right? A rising tide lifts all boats. And yeah. so, um, you know, I know that I do better when my neighbors do better. Yeah. And I mean, that's a, a, a great way of putting it. And I, I think the same thing is that we all just need to take a step forward. And I, and I did what you like what you said there too, about, you know, being in terms of the workplace and leaning in one, one of my biggest, I guess, issues with a lot of things is that some, I guess, parties see the pursuance of men as, as not expecting men to become better, but they become more like men. And that to me is, is not a great way of approaching the problem you know, if one is, uh, and the typical example that I think of is, you know, if men are allowed to sleep with as many women as they want, why can't women sleep with as many men as they want? I mean, I'm I like, mean, the, the flip side of that is who the hell is sleeping with all these men? Obviously yeah. women. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, you know, the, there, I think there is a lot of sexual empowerment there from both sides. I, I know women that have tons of men that they've slept with. And I know guys who slept with a ton of women, but you know, I, I don't see that whole language of I'm sleeping with more men because it's sexual empowerment or female empowerment. I'm like, shouldn't we just expect men to be better? Like, why do you have to lower yourself to the the status or the, the, the decisions of men? Like, I don't know if that makes any sense, but I, I felt like that was kind of in the same lane. Um, or I'm, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on that. I might need you to rephrase the question. Okay. So in, in the language of the, this idea that men can then conquer women and just try to rack up kills, right? Whatever yeah. that, that masculinity language is, um, women have tried to turn that around and, or some women try to turn that around and say, I'm going to try to get as, with as many men as possible because that's sexual empowerment. I don't see that as, as women empowerment or sexual empowerment. I just see that as you're, you're making dangerous decisions in your life. To, to get back at men or to, to be more like that's, that's toxic right. masculinity. So, yeah. So what you're saying is um, rather than um, it's tough when you put it positionally, but rather than like lowering the bar that men have set around like sexual promiscuity, you're trying to meet men where they're at versus like finding yes. that. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, um, everyone's going to go about it their, their own way. And, and um, you know, when it comes to that and, and if there's, there's uh, consent and whatnot, then all the power to, to everyone. But like, it does become uh, I think toxic when there isn't that consent piece and the consent piece could it even just be a misunderstanding where, you know, one person, like you said, is, is kind of treating it as a notch on the belt and the other person thinks to themselves, you know, Hey, this might be something interesting for me that I, I want. Right. And um, without that proper communication and respect and, 
you know, the reality is that a lot of these individuals who are chasing these things also don't necessarily respect themselves because there's there's increased risk taking behavior, whether it's it's through pregnancy or, or sexually transmitted infection, um, all those kinds of things play a role. So and this is, I think, what what is tough is is our brains seek these binary yes, no, black, white, right, wrong answers. But everything is so nuanced in this space. Right. And, and we need to get comfortable with the gray. Yeah. And that, that's one thing that I look at when I see the talk and conversation about politics and a lot of things right now is everyone talks about it in black and black and white. And I'm like, there's so much going on here that if I just think about, you know, why men would vote for Trump, there's a lot of reasons why I can think that men would vote for Trump, especially white men who are a very majority of American population is because he speaks for the the America that was like, as we alluded to earlier, like the, your inner King. And, and even though a lot of men might not vote for him because of that, there is, he's bringing back the past where the white man was uplifted. And, and if I've read a couple books on it too, where including angry white men, a lot of white men in the States feel like they are, the bottom of the barrel and whether or not that's true statistically, that's how they feel. And that's where the nuance lies is why, why they feel that way. Yeah. And I mean, I think uh, this goes back to kind of where you kicked off the question. Like we just need to get to a place where we can say yes. And right. And like mm-hmm. when, when we talk about a future where men and boys feel less pain and cause less harm, right? Like we acknowledge the pain that boys and men feel through patriarchy, through, all of these different things, but we're also cognizant of and hold them accountable for the pain and harm that they then inflict because of theirs, right? Like it's, it's all about being trauma informed because it's hurt people that hurt people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's a lot of hurt right now uh, in the world. I can tell you that. And one of the things I wanted to talk about you or talk about with you was your three levels of change, um, which in a, in a prior conversation you alluded to were individual community and systemic. Um, and I really liked your approach to it because it seemed backwards from what a lot of entrepreneurs would say. Uh, yours was, tell me the order of yours before I, I go the other way. <laughs> I don't know if there's a specific order, but I think we just need to be cognizant of it all is, you know, um, I think a lot of people do a lot of self-work and and I include myself in this, you know, the catalyst for me starting down this path and doing this work was my own struggles with my mental health. And um, despite being, you know, an all academic varsity athlete, um, I was struggling with depression and I had this internal monologue of, you know, you gotta be tough. You can't ask for help. You can't show emotion. That wasn't even anything that anyone was putting on me. That was just myself. And, um, you know, I, I um, uh, turned to binge drinking, I turned to self-harm and inevitably ended up in an utter breakdown and need to go through through therapy and, and build myself back up again. And um, thankfully, I'm in a much better place these days and, um, you know, I've had a myriad of, of life experience since then. Um, but you know, I, I did need to do that self-work and, and then kind of see a lot of the broader things. And, and um, you know, I think a lot of people go through that journey, but then they they may not have the courage to go into kind of the community-based work, right? And that, that might mm-hmm. be 
like an example, you know, is a guy who's done the self-work and, and has, you know, redefined masculinity for himself. And then he's out for beers with the boys or he's in a locker room and, and, you know, the waitress walks past or some guy's talking about, you know, some girl he smashed last weekend and, and, you know, they're just objects, they're meat. And this guy's like, you know, that just doesn't really reconcile with, with my beliefs now about these things, but you know what, I'm, I'm going to go along to get along and I'm going to bite my tongue. Right. Because it takes courage to, to call your friends in like that. And so, um, you know, that's where I think some men stop short. And then, um, you know, there are some men who, who do take those opportunities and say, Hey, not cool, bro. Um, you know, she's, she's someone's sister or, or something like that, whatever, whatever they choose to do to, to kind of intervene and, and kind of give a new perspective. Um, but then the next stage on top of that is, is the systemic stuff. And many, many men actually stop short of the systemic stuff because, you know, whether we do something or not, the status quo does benefit us, right? In terms of, of you know, representation in, in the halls of power, whether that be Fortune 500 companies or, or global heads of state uh, with regards to our income. Um, you know, there's a lot of good things about the status quo for men. And, um, you know, I just think that you got to be doing a lot of the work at all, a lot of the levels. And um, it's, it's just as much top down as it is bottom up. Yeah. And you said a couple things in there that I thought were, were really interesting. One was uh, she's someone's sister. You know, I wrote an article um, recently on my blog, the imperfect pod.com short plug there. And I talked about in it, how you have to make things personal. And a lot of people, when they have those conversations, say, don't make it personal, bro. It's not, it's not, it's not personal. You have to make it personal because otherwise how are they going to get it? And and because as soon as you turn around and make it personal, they get offended. And it's like, exactly. That is the exact point that I'm trying to allude to is that that is someone's sister. That is something that, you know, has to happen. That that's a thought that has to take place for you to get how that could be offensive to the person that you're talking about. Yeah. And I mean, um, Many men, most of us, I doubt would want that for others, right? And there are people that turn a blind eye, right? Like, uh, it was funny, I was watching this, uh, this TikTok, and it was a, a young woman whose parents were Trump supporters. And she was like, I'm going on this date with this guy. And they're like, oh, tell us more about him. And, and she's like, well, you know, we've been seeing each other for a little bit, seems to have a good relationship with the Lord. But he's got these like, sexual assault allegations and obviously her parents were like what like what are you talking about why would you even entertain this and she's like well i also like looked at his twitter and he said some pretty racist things and like her parents are just like livid at this point and she's and they're like you why you can't go out with someone like this and she's like yeah but you'd let someone like this run the country Mm. right and that's that cognitive dissonance where on a personal level, they would never wish that for someone yep. in their, you know, individual community life, but they miss it on the systemic level. Yeah. And that's why it needs to happen across those things as well, too. Yeah. And that's why, to your point, like the personal is political. Yeah, that's a that's a great analogy. And it's so, like no one would want that for their daughter or their son to to have someone that speaks like that. And, you know, I'll, I'll say it first. I'm guilty of not calling out friends when I was, I definitely can 
was part of locker room talk as a kid. And, and I've tried, like I've grown past that and I hope I'm in a place now, you know, I have a good group of guy friends where if something like that happens or someone says something kind of gross in the, in the Facebook chat, it's like, we address it and we're like, that's not cool. You know, we, we've moved beyond that. We're 24 years old now. There's no need for that, uh, anymore. Yeah. So, so like we, we call each other out now or, or I guess that was the second thing I wanted to bring up for when you just said calling in, what does calling in mean to you? And what is that term? Yeah. Calling in is, you know, um, and I think this loops into another thing that you wanted to chat about was this idea of cancel culture too. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and when you call someone out or you cancel them, you're, you're, you're saying, Hey, that, that behavior is not acceptable. Right. However, what happens to those people then, right? Like we, as, as far as we've come as a human civilization, like we are, uh, you know, hairless monkeys at best with, with, you know, um, primate minds. And like back in the day when people were cast out from their group, it triggered in their mind, uh, fight or flight or freeze, right? Because it was life or death. You had to belong to the group. And so I really worry a lot about, you know, um, what we do with these people and, you know, my, and, and sorry, I don't want to say my, because I didn't come up with this. A lot of this stuff is just borrowed from other people, but I really like consequence culture, right? Um, when you're, when someone's canceled, like, you know, banish them, don't want to hear from them, all that stuff. But, you know, for the, the Harvey Weinsteins of the world, like they need consequences. They do need to go to jail. Like what happened to him was deserved. And then like, let's say, you know, something maybe slightly less egregious, but still awful, like Louis CK, right? And, you know, he, uh, you know, paid a price and then tried to make a comeback, but didn't really atone for what he did or apologize or address it. And so, you know, he's still paying a consequence of that mm. right not he's canceled it's it's there there's a difference in that and so i think you know when to your example someone says something not so great in the group chat rather than being like we're going to kick you out of the group chat you say hey like you know when you said this i feel this right and it's calling in it's like hey our relationship matters to me and and this tension caused by what you said is worth me fighting for, worth mm. me explaining to you and, and giving you an option to make it better, right? But when we're casting these people out and just calling them out and canceling them and those kinds of things, we're not offering them a path back, right? Mm. And I just think that's so important. And, and a huge piece of it, I think, is, is in and around restorative justice as well too, right? Like we know that there's um so much sexual assault um and like the the incentives of men uh owning what they've done uh it doesn't exist there right because you go to jail you lose you you lose your entire career and those kinds of things and there will be people who say you know that should be the consequence and and you know i'm not really trying to debate that like there do need to be consequences however like 
who is helping them with their healing, right? Like, are they getting the counseling? Are they potentially, if the victim is willing, having an opportunity to hear from the victim how their actions impacted them and have the ability to apologize and help in the victim's healing journey as well too, right? Mm-hmm. And so this is, I think, a really fascinating space that's evolving. And, and how do we take that restorative justice piece and apply it to, you know, a Facebook chat transgression, right? Yeah. And and that's something I wish that we were applying a bit more to, you know, on the systemic level, because I, I think that we're really good at consequence culture, maybe on the individual level, like, or in, or in our community levels. But if you see someone mess up on Twitter and no one knows who they are, people that don't know who they are, are ruthless to this person saying that you shouldn't even like be alive. Like there's a lot of toxic behavior there. And that's where I think it's interesting is that this consequential culture might be more of a thing on the individual, on the community level, because if you know them, like I'm thinking about Chris Pratt, I'm not sure if you saw what happened with him in the, this past week, but like Avengers did a whole reading for Joe Biden or something like that. Like a lot of them got together. Chris Pratt wasn't there. Then they got assessed or he got accused of being a Trump supporter because he wasn't there because he goes to a um, Christian, he goes to a, a church that is apparently like homophobic or, or has those or is, is out openly homophobic. And so everyone, everyone just went out on Chris Pratt and, and the Avengers stood up for him, like saying that he's the nicest guy. But if he was another person that they didn't know, they probably would have been more like, yeah, this person sucks in Hollywood or, or cancel them. And it seems to be very much a, if we like you or if we are associated with you and we think positively of you, we'll stand up for you. But if we don't know you, we're very quick to cast you aside. Totally. And that's where I think, um, you know, to your point, like there's a better use of our time, right? There's, you know, people can maybe feel like they're getting quick wins by piling on this individual. But like, you know, if we're really going to try to change some of these systems, like that takes activism, that takes voting, that takes, you know, um, protesting, that takes these kinds of things. And, um, you know, I don't want to be here and, and say people are slacktivists and they're, you know, their 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 whole thing is just tweeting at people. I don't know the situation. It all depends. But, um, you know, by him not being in one situation and then having all of these stories told about him, like we don't know. Right. Like yeah. it's different if Chris Pratt was like, no, I believe gay people shouldn't exist. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, there should be consequences to that. But like these kind of like made up like celebrity type things, it's it's a lot of like wasted mental and emotional energy, I feel. I agree. That's why I stay – I don't stay off Twitter. I just mute certain words and un, unsubscribe to people that I immediately find like are just there to provoke. And I'm like how bored do you have to be to go search out drama? Like my biggest thing when I was in university was I don't want to be involved in the drama. I'm okay hearing about it, but I'm not – don't throw my name out there. Don't get me involved in it. I don't have time for it. And it's and it's one of those things where I you know, you know, I think one of the one of the things that happens right now is if you don't want to if you want to block it out or if you want to take a rest from the noise, you get associated with being um you're you're comfortable in the system the way it is and you don't want to to do anything to change it which i understand i understand that frame of reference like i'm very comfortable in the situation i'm in but like like a lot of things about uh black lives matter upset me 
So I, I took like a mini social media break and I get the whole idea of I'm not directly affected by it. So I'm allowed to take those breaks, right? Like, see, I, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Like, I think people who are apathetic, like wholly apathetic, that is something different, right? But again, like the measuring stick of like your tweets didn't align with Black Lives Matter is so wrong, right? Like we have organizations out here who are, you know, putting out their black square and saying these things. And meanwhile, there's black people within those organizations that are saying like, you don't fucking care about people of color here. Like yeah. quit, quit the performative crap. And there's so many people who do that too. And like, you know, uh, when people were putting up their black, and I'm not saying that I'm, I'm the be all end all, but I'm just hopefully offering an example. When people were putting up their black squares on Instagram, I put up a slideshow and I think it was like seven black people who mm. taught me something, right. Or who I'd learned something from. Right. And I think, you know, um, there's different ways about going about these things. And at the end of the day, like we all have a role to play. And I see this, right? Like there's people who are, you know, academics and they're studying these things and they give me the data that I can then go and like, you know, champion in communities. And then there's people who are politicians and they're working within that. And so to use, you know, our social media as a measuring stick of, you know, whether we're active or not, that's one thing. You know, I, I don't think that people should be insensitive and, you know, going on about how, you know, look at me, I'm on this yacht. Yeah. Damn those protesters, right? Like, you know, maybe you, maybe you shouldn't be like boasting about how easy and good your life is, but like the fact that you didn't put up a black square or the fact that you didn't show up to a reading for Joe Biden, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's tough. A lot of it is performative and, and I agree with that language. Some people call it virtue signaling. I think that might be a bit too extreme, but the, you know, there's, me, there's a like virtue signaling has fallen in that category of social justice warrior as well too. Like, you know, I, yeah. I, I am a social justice warrior. Thank you very much. Right. People say, say that, that with a negative connotation. And, and to be honest with you, I do virtue signal when, when I'm in a space, I, I do a land acknowledgement. I, I, you know, identify my pronouns and, and what virtues I'm trying to signal are, you know, I respect the land that I'm on and, and its original inhabitants and the trauma that was caused. And that, you know, I'm a safe space for people to have uh, non-binary gendered identities, right? And like, for me to be that safe and positive space, yeah, those are virtues I want to signal, right? Mm. And so, like, I think we also need to reclaim it in in some sense in that, right? And um the opposite of, you know, virtue signal on the quote unquote left is a dog whistle on the right. Right. And it's, it's all very fraught right now. And I think, again, we got to come back to that middle and really dig into, to that gray to try to understand one another and, and try yeah. to reframe things. Talking about the middle now, and I know this might be a different kind of middle, but in terms of, we, we were talking once about the bell curve of, of masculinity and, how a lot of the language seems either extreme left, moderate right, and then extreme right. And if those those people in the moderate right, moderate left, are you know are just trying to live their life, figure it out, really healthy ways, I think. Um, but then there's those people in the moderate moderate kind of like right who are are just trying to learn a little bit more and ask questions, and they can get attacked by the extreme left 
and then that pushes them to the extreme right. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm. If like, I may, I'll I'll I'll, yeah. I'll try and and go from from our last conversation. But yeah. I I see there being kind of like a bell curve of like men's work or gender based issues, let's call it. And on the far right, we have you know incels, men's rights activists, like just just the worst of the worst, right? And then on the far left, we have you know, intersectional feminism and social justice warriors and and those kinds of things. And, you know, I, I identify with those values. Absolutely. Right. I think that um, there's a lot of value in those, but um, that those are kind of the two polar opposites that I'll, I'll say. But the reality is when we look at a bell curve, the majority of the population exists under the bell curve in the middle. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, each of those two ends might be the 2%. But what happens is there does exist a moderate right and the moderate right has its spokespeople, oftentimes kind of the Joe Rogans or the Jordan Petersons or those kinds of things. And they say things that the far right loves, but in a way that is still palatable to the quote unquote mainstream, like freaking Joe Rogan had Alex Jones on his show again the other day. I think it's like what his like fifth time. Yeah. Right. And, I don't know, and it's a lot. it is, it is a lot. And, and, you know, I get the point that some people say that, you know, Joe Rogan is, is a, an interviewer and whatnot, but like, you know, you can make some choices by who you platform or not. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, anyways, neither here nor there, but um what I think is tough is there isn't really a moderate left because the left eats the left alive because of this virtue signaling, right? And so, you know, if I'm the moderate left and I'm not doing, you know, some of these things, I'm often told that, you know, I'm, you know, people are, are trying to get me to move further left, but not necessarily creating a soft landing place for people who are in the middle who are like new to thinking about these things because the reality is much like we talked about that kind of like sensationalized story of people's lives like men have what we call sensitizing experiences which makes them start thinking about gender and what those are often is is a breakup a job loss a mental health crisis those kinds of things and it's like oh like i'm i'm kind of messed up mm. and then you know they're looking for some some way to understand it and, you know, when, when they're looking from the middle and they're looking to the left and the left says, yeah, you're a man, you're problematic and, and you know, these kinds of things and you need to do better and be better and, and all these kinds of, you know, kind of vilifying things, let's say. And then you look to the right and you see, you know, um, these guys saying, yeah, your problem, if, if we were 20 years ago or 30 years ago and, and women were in their place, like, you know, things would be better. And, and what, what kind of from the middle seems more welcoming? It's like these, these guys are saying, yeah, I have a problem, but it's someone else's fault. Mm-hmm. And these guys are saying, yeah, I have a problem, but it's my fault, right? And so I'm often probably going to be like, no, nah, it's got to be someone else's fault because it's hard to do that work. Mm-hmm. And um, this, is, this was on your list as well too. And I think this is a good space to talk about unlearning, right? Yes. Because like, unlearning is a really vulnerable place to be because unlearning means that the thing you learned and knew to be true once you're saying that is actually wrong. Yes. Right. And we don't based on, you know, cancel culture, call out culture, all those kinds of things. We don't really exist in a society where we are granted a lot of mistakes. So for us to say, you know, I made a mistake and I believe something and I don't believe it anymore. We fear 
a lot of that canceling and calling out, yes. right? Rather than being in a culture where we say, now you know better, you can do better and encourage yeah. that. And so, you know, that's where I really want next gen men and the type of conversations that we're having to be a moderate left, to be a soft landing place. And you know what? Maybe once those people have, you know, dealt with some of their stuff and, and you know, worked on some of these things and saw the community side, and the systemic side, maybe they do become social justice warriors and intersectional feminists. That's fine, right? But it's also fine to like work through the stuff wherever you are. But like, let's do this men's work or gender-based work or whatever it is and understand that it's not just how the world treats us, but it's how we treat others in the world as well too. Yeah. And, and I will say like the biggest fear and challenge I had or insecurity I had when starting this entire podcast a year ago was, you know, will I get, will I be in a place where I put myself in a dangerous position in five, 10 years where I get called out for something I said when I first started because society evolves and I've evolved and, you know, I would, I a hundred percent was toxic five years ago, I made rape jokes. I made awful jokes. And now I don't make those anymore. And, and I've unlearned a lot of those things because I have a lot of friends who are women and, and power, like strong women, independent women. My parents are like, my parents are really good. I've unlearned a lot of things and I don't want to be vilified for that. I want to, because that just turns off the idea of learning in the first place. It's like, um, we were, as we were kind of talking about before even coming on, on the podcast, we were talking about books and if I get made fun of for reading a book while I'm young, I won't want to read, right? Like it's just, oh, you're such a nerd. You're reading a book. It's, it's the same kind of language where someone is pursuing education and learning and, and vulnerability. And then you say, oh, you're such a nerd for doing that. Well, okay. Now I'm not, now I'm going to say uneducated my entire life. I'm not going to change. So like really me making those mistakes, me understanding that I have to push through some of these things. And just, I just want to have conversations with people. If, if you don't agree with anything I've said ever on this podcast, message me about it. And I'll, I'll have a conversation with you. Like, as I alluded to earlier, when you, when you said, you know, you like to, to challenge me on something, I'm like, go ahead. I'm, I'm all for it. I stand on stage, not because I'm perfect. I stand on stage saying I fucked up and I grew to do better. And if I can grow to do better, you can too. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, I, it's funny, I, I, I'm 32 and I, I grew up quite patriarchal, come from an East European family, went to Catholic school, uh, was an athlete, as I'd mentioned. I regularly find myself internally grappling with like patriarchal structures and like have uh, an inert reaction to one thing, but have learned that, you know, maybe I should think about it differently, right? And it's a, it's a tension and a struggle I have because that's how and, and the time I grew up. And then we have, you know, a couple staff that are, I don't know, seven years younger than me. And like, because of the type of family structure and, and lived experience they have, they don't have that tension. And I look at these like 12 to 14 year old boys, like, Again, went to Catholic school. There was nobody out in my school. If I heard the word trans, it was probably followed by sexual. And, um, you know, I'd never heard of what feminism was. These 12 to 14-year-old boys that we work with know all of these things and more, right? And so the only inevitability is change, right? And so for us to sit here and say, you know, 
well, I know enough now, right? I don't need to learn. I don't need to grow is just false. Mm -hmm. The only constant is change. I think that's a quote, isn't it? hundred percent. I guess one of the questions I have for you then is, you know, there's, there's, I, I know that you're in Canada too, and there's a lot of language uh, and conversation about the sex education that we have about teaching kids this young about gender and all these different, um, you know, about their body and, and things like that. What, what are your thoughts? Do you have any thoughts on that? Do you think it's healthy, unhealthy? Like, I guess I, I'm interested in that. Yeah, I mean, I think so much of it is also misconceptions, right? Like the headline that gets printed is grade ones learn consent, right? And like a parent will freak out and be like, I don't want my kid learning about consent in grade one. But how the lesson is taught is, hey, Bobby, you want to give Susie a hug? You should ask before Susie, before you give her the hug. It's not like, Mm. Bobby, if you would like to have, you know, sexual intercourse with Susie, then you need to ask for that, right? Like, it's these building blocks. And, you know, at NextGenMed, we talk about how we do healthy relationships. When we talk about healthy relationships, we're not even talking about healthy relationships across sex, right? We're talking Mm -hmm. about how do you have a healthy friendship with your friend? How do you have a healthy relationship with your teacher and administrator and people in power? How do you have a healthy relationship with yourself, right? And so, these ideas um, that we've, you know, thrown in with sex uh, or intercourse or whatever, like they're smaller ideas that can be practiced in a myriad of ways. And, and if you practice it in not those situations, then you'll be better prepared. I mean, mm-hmm. here's a funny example for you. We're, we're recording this in the time of COVID-19. To protect ourselves and our communities, we should be wearing masks, right? And I went to Calgary a few weeks ago to visit uh, or to check on my parents' place. And, and I visited a couple of friends. One of my buddies, his wife is an ER nurse. And um, my other buddy, his partner is a uh, paramedic. So they're frontline workers. And we wanted to watch a basketball game together. And none of us were quote unquote bubbled together. And so we had the awkward conversation of like, what kind of protection do we want to use, right? Like, mm-hmm. are we going to wear masks indoor around another? Are we going to socially distance, you know? Like, but if we had had those skills built in from, you know, sexual health education or from grade one asking consent and stuff like that, it would have been a less awkward conversation. Yeah. No, and I think it's the same thing. And a lot of the times people will say, it's you know, it's up to me to have that conversation with my kid. Well, we've shown generations that, parents have not had that conversation with their kids. Like it, it's been proven time and time again that the reason that this is needed in the, in the house or in the school is because it's not happening in the home. So, and then they, that's when they get mad and they're like, we should have control over when this, my kid finds about about that. And, but then if they're, and you talked about it earlier about the intersectionality of masculinity and porn, if you're not having that conversation before that kid is watching porn, which is probably as early as 11, 12, 13 years old nowadays, that that's also a dangerous thing because there's that there's no consent in that. It comes up in society in so many funny ways. I did a presentation on gender norms to a major Canadian financial institution. And when I do my gender norms presentation, I start by defining the difference between sex and gender, because, you know, we talked about earlier where we still call it a gender reveal, but it's a sex reveal because all we know about this baby is its genitalia. And to help me aid my definitions, I was going to use the word penis and vagina, which are biological terms. 
And this financial institution wanted me not to use those words. And I put my foot down and I said, hey, listen, if we're going to transform gender norms and, and you know, push gender equality in this workplace, we need to be comfortable using biological terms. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a weird. Unlike, but that, but that's yeah. where that stigma comes from, right? Like when, when people say it's up to me to tell my kid about this and it's like, we can't even use those things, right? Yeah. And like the whole, I remember when I was a, a younger, like the penis game was a huge thing too, is like whoever can yell at the loudest in public because it's so funny and so embarrassing. Ha ha ha. And, and it's not just a, <laughs> it's not seen as a biological, it's seen as something to laugh at or to not say. Totally. And I mean, you know, we also, and, and again, like, you know, these are our stretch things. We're kind of building off each other here, but like, we live in a society, like how many times a week do you think you hear about mindfulness and meditation? Quite often now. Right. But yeah. that's because we're disconnected from our bodies. What do you think like connects us to our bodies? Knowing our bodies from a younger age. Right. Mm. And so like, there's just so many different things that we need to like think about. And that's why, you know, we need to think about these things you know, on an individual level, on a community level, on a systemic level. It's, it's too, you know, focused on, on one thing. Like if we think about, you know, um, I live in Vancouver, uh, I could never afford a house here. So I'm concerned with affordable rent. Um, but there are people who got in the market at the right time and one year their property happened to jump 40% and they don't care about affordable housing anymore. So they're thinking about it from an individual level, but they've forgotten about the systemic level. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, and they've also probably forgotten that if they ever do sell their place, they then have to either downgrade or exit the market. Right. Yes. So I don't know. There's just so many things that I think we have these blind spots that like, we just need to be willing to have conversations about. And that again, goes to that calling in because like, you know, if Luke is saying something and I'm, I can just say, Hey Luke, have you looked at it from this other perspective? All I'm doing is calling you into a blind spot and it's a blind spot for a reason because you can't see it. Yes. And, and talking about that individual systemic thing, a, a common one that I think about is abortion. Like a lot of people I wouldn't say are, to the level of like, yeah, just abort a child. But it's it's like, unless you're willing to have conversations about safe sex, education, um, providing birth control to people affordably cheap and, and having those conversations early, like that truly is what is going to get the number of abortion cases down. Like on an individual level, I would never, I would never encourage anyone to get an abortion. Like that's just not what I would do. If they did it, I'd be like, yeah, that's that's fine but i would i would try to look at all the other options first before going down that path if it was me or or i just wouldn't offer my in, like i would never offer my input if it wasn't asked for so like individually i'm like you know not not the biggest fan of it but systemically i would 100% be pro uh pro choice because i'm i see the systemic problems that underlie that 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 problem. There was a beautiful episode. Uh, I don't know if you listen to New York Times, The Daily. Um, I do sometimes. Yeah, there was a recent one about uh, suburban women voters uh, in the lead up to the election here. And um, there was a beautiful piece in that I thought about self-reflection of a woman who, you know, uh, grew up evangelical and, and was just anti-abortion in all costs. And then she had, you know, remember, you said you got to make it personal she had a friend who in the, her third trimester found out that 
you know, if she proceeded with this pregnancy, her life would be at risk. And so she had a late term abortion and it fucking devastated her and like mm. the, the relationship. And this, this friend who was like anti-abortion saw that and was like, shit, like my whole life I've been campaigning that I should have a right to choose how late she can have an abortion and sees how destroyed her person, her friend was. Cause the reality is people are not getting to third trimester um, and aborting because of, they just don't want the child. Right. Yeah. And so like, we really need to think critically about these things sometimes too, and realize, you know, um, you know, here's, here's my life. Here's my little corner. Here's the things that I can control. Right. But I shouldn't be dictating in other people's lives. Yeah. No. And uh, like no one, and even if they do have an abortion, if it's like sometimes five, six weeks in, and that first trimester, there's still PTSD that can come from that because you, you, do see that like one it's like an invasion of of the body that's some like it's a medical procedure but two it's like yeah there was potentially this life in me but like it's not an easy decision ever i would say for for any woman you know going back to the sex ed thing you know we're taught don't look at a girl without wearing a condom because you're going to end up pregnant right but now as, you know, early thirties, like I have friends who are married and they're trying to have kids and they're struggling for months, years, like they're having miscarriages and they have PTSD from that, you know, mm. like, so again, who are we to judge? Right. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, that, that's kind of really all I have. Is there any other topics that you wanted to cover here, Jake, anything that else is, you're motivated to talk about? I'd love to I don't know. I'm, I'm okay to kind of wrap it up or, or continue talking, whatever you're. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I just want to thank you for the conversation. I think it's been really good, really rich. Um, you know, uh, the other thing that I guess I just want to say as well is like, you know, I'm just a guy with an opinion, right? Like I've done a lot of this learning on my own and whatnot too. And, and much like you, all those opinions can be challenged. And, and I hope that I can say now that, you know, I'm willing to be open-minded and, and change my mind about these things. Um, and I just hope that, you know, your audience and, and listeners and those kinds of things are, are kind of practicing that themselves. And, and uh, really, I think, you know, we need to all roll up our sleeves and, and get a little dirty in these conversations and, and, um, and always want an outcome where, where, you know, we build those bridges together. And yeah. we, we come to understand one another. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's a big solution for the times we're, we're at today um, is is trying to understand that everyone's trying to live a good life and, and hopefully get to a place where we're where we're helping other people live good lives while we live good lives and not in spite of. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. It's a beautiful way to wrap it up, Jake. But I also want to give you a minute or two to promote what you have going on in your life, where people can find you, and uh, how they can continue to to support the work of Next Gen Men. Yeah, if they're interested, our website is www.nextgenmen.ca. Um, on all of the socials, we're at Next Gen Men. Uh, so that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Um, Facebook, I had to to chat with a, a church in in atlanta for years to get that handle so i'm glad <laughs> i got it now um uh what else are we doing we've got uh, our next event uh depending on when this is published will be november 19th which happens to be international men's day uh that'll be on masculinity and substance abuse 
Um, so that'll be a Zoom event. People can join from anywhere. Is it free? Um, so what we do at our events is is they're by donation. So we got a but okay. there's always options for free. So you know if it's your first time, there's a code for you. If you know now is not a good time for you to donate, there's a code for you. And um, what we do now is is we have next gen membership. Um, and what next gen membership gets you is I know you're laughing. Uh, it's it's both awful and perfect at the same time. It is. Um, but NextGen membership gets you access to a private online community. So there's no trolls there. It's like our own little social space where we, you know, share articles and links and TED Talks and we, you know, have conversations about it. And, and mm-hmm. you know, you don't really want to read the comments on the rest of the internet, but this is one place you do want to read the comments. Um, it gets you free access to our events. It gets you exclusive discounts on on merchandise. And at the end of the day, your money is going to supporting youth in our programs. So uh, it's kind of like a, a quadruple win, if you will. Um, How much is that a month? Five, 10, 15, 20, whatever someone wants to give. All right, I'm gonna sign up for that right after we're done recording. Ooh, nice. Got a new <laughs> next gen member. Woo! <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, you know if if people do have uh, twelve to fourteen year old boys in their lives that they care about, you know, sons, nephews, uh, kids they coach, whatever. Uh, we have NGM Boys Club online, which is uh, our current youth program, which is run on Discord. I don't know if people know Classic. about Discord, but yes, but it's a video game chat platform originally. And I mean, if we're if we're talking about meeting boys where they're at, then like we gotta we gotta be there. So yeah. Um, that's that. And then the last thing I'll plug, um, you know, we're really trying to encourage people on that journey of learning and unlearning. And so uh, corporate facing, we've got what we call book club and book is actually an acronym for beyond our own knowledge, where I lead a group of male identified individuals reading um, uh, women, trans, LGBTQ, people of color, um, you know, a lot of the, the voices that are on the margins and, and try to bring those into our realities so that we can be better leaders. Perfect. I'm going to ask you for a list of those uh, books after so I can maybe pick some up myself. Um, but Jake, thank you so much for being with me today. I love this conversation. Um, Zach, thank you so much for connecting us. I appreciate you, man. I don't know if you if you listen, but I'll send this one to you just so you can hear that shout out. Um, but yeah, Jake, thank you so much for being here. And I, I, I'll make sure that this is posted before November 19th. Sounds good. Thanks, Zach. And thanks, Luke. Thank you everyone so much for listening to this week's episode with Jake Sticka. If you would like to find out more about today's guest, uh, you can connect with him at NextGenMen. That is the name across all of their social medias, as he alluded to at the end. I've included those linked in the description box below, and you can find out more about their website, nextgenmen.ca. I've also linked the link to the membership. Uh, I know I still have fun saying it. It's great. Uh, And the next event about men and substance abuse that he was talking about and promoting at the end, which I believe is November 19th. Um, If you enjoyed the episode, it would mean the world to me if you press the follow button, subscribe button, or left a review. And if you would like to discuss today's episode, as a reminder, please feel free to message me on Instagram at the imperfect pod or email me at luke at the imperfect pod.com. Um, and that's how you can continue the conversation. And I'll see you all Friday for the next episode of just the tip.